Welcome to episode 18 of Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women and their parents to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Well, last week in episode 17, we began a new discussion revolving around the arguments advanced in a little book that I have just published under the title, An Apologetic for Liberty. We examined a troubling trend in America, a trend that is unfortunately echoed and encouraged by far too many Christians, suggesting that we should not make such a fuss about the cause of liberty. Against this, I established my premise that it is not only fitting and proper for a Christian to defend the cause of liberty— it is essential. We expose some of the straw men, and remember we used our little straw man here, that are set up and knocked down by our adversaries, proving that their accusations against liberty actually hinge on misrepresentations of it. We then highlighted a fundamental question that must, at the outset, be asked of those who would seek to condition our liberties. And that question is, On what or whose authority do you make claims on me without my consent? On what or whose authority do you make claims on me without my consent? I explained to our icebergs the importance of the sequence of the argument. That is, before we move to defend the cause of liberty, we must begin by challenging the very premise of our adversaries. We then answered that question by establishing that as a matter of God's created order— You and I are not subservient to the claims or demands of co-equals created in the image of God. If God made everything and everyone, who are we to subordinate another man created in God's image? And you can hear much more on that discussion in episode 17. Today, we are going to fulfill a promise that I made in the last episode to explore the foundations of liberty. By the way, I should call that an episodic promise. That is to say... If I say in one episode, we're going to address this in a future episode, and then I follow through on that promise, we can refer to it as answering or fulfilling an episodic promise, as distinguished, of course, from merely answering or making an opinion, a comment, observation. I digress. All right. When we return, our icebergs will help me follow through on my episodic promise to explore the foundations of liberty. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think.
Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am your host. And with me today in the studio are... Roger. Winnie. And Katie. Roger, Winnie, and Katie. Katie on a college break. Good to have you back in the studio, Katie. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So before we enter the offices of hypothesis, let's revisit the premise that we established over the past couple of episodes, and that is that the Christian worldview is the precondition to the intelligibility of liberty. The Word of God is not merely one of many divergent paths to liberty. It is the necessary precondition to the intelligibility of liberty. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, without God, we can know nothing. So how could we even know liberty if we didn't have him? So when you say without, which is true, by the way, but I want you to elaborate on it, especially for those who might say, well, what do you mean without God, we couldn't know anything? Can you provide some scriptural support for that? Why, sure. Um, We could look at um, John 1, which is in the beginning, the word was God and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning, and with him, all things were made that was made, and without him, nothing was made that was made. That's right. And so, and I'll say it from a different translation, but it's the same, it's the same expression. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Through him, all things were made, right, as Winnie just said. Without him, nothing was made that has been made, okay? Is there any other scripture? I mean, there's a ton of scripture we could point to, but let's see if we can find another to support that before we move on from our thesis. Well, yeah, you could look at Colossians 1.15, which is talking about Christ. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, so even though you said it really quickly— I want to go back and focus on one word that kept appearing as you were reciting that passage, which is what? All. All, right? The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before not some things, all things, and in him not some things, all things hold together, right? And we could go on and point out various references to Scripture. So it is true then that everything is established on the foundation of God. If we believe the Bible to be true, then we must assert and we must believe and know that nothing exists without God. So our knowledge of anything, including the concepts of liberty, must be rooted in the Word of God, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. By the way, what does it mean, Roger, when I say precondition? It means uh, <laughs> the condition which must occur before whatever it is you're talking about. Right. It's simple. Precondition. A condition prior to or a, a premise or someone might call it a presupposition, right? Mm-hmm. So when we say that the Christian worldview is the precondition to the intelligibility of liberty, our position is that unless the Bible is true about the identity and nature of God, about the character of man, the world in which we live, and truth itself, we couldn't know anything, including the concepts of liberty and the duty to defend it. 
In a later episode, we're actually going to elaborate on that argument, demonstrating how claims of liberty rooted in anything other than Christ speaking through the Word of God will ultimately fail. And that, by the way, would be another episodic promise. It's my new word. But in order not to get too far ahead of ourselves, we need to take this like uh, Jim Carrey in The Grinch. You ever see that? Mm, when his dog Max embraces him on the top of Mount Crumpet, jumps on the Grinch, licks his face, and the Grinch, whose heart had just grown three times, he throws Max off and says, one step at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to enter the... Offices of Hypothesis. To first examine the biblical foundations for liberty. And our hypothesis today is the foundations for liberty are rooted in Scripture. And let me repeat it. The foundations for liberty are rooted in Scripture. With a clock. True or false? True. 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 Okay, now support your argument. By the way, a pre-question or a pre-discussion to your answer. Focus on the word rooted for a minute. Okay. If we say the foundations for liberty are rooted in Scripture, tell me why that word is important and what it can't mean. Well, it means like it's growing from it, like it started there. Okay. Yeah. They're True. Not, they're not equal. It's not Scripture and freedom are the foundation for everything else. It's Scripture is the foundation for everything else. Okay. Another really good point. Okay. So to to dig a little deeper. Huh. Pardon the pun, right? Roots, roots run deep, <laughs> oh. and the deeper the better. If liberty is rooted in one thing, the Scripture, how about telling me what it, what can't be true then about liberty? It can't be rooted in anything else. And why not? Because it's already rooted in Scripture. That's the foundation. That's the very bottom. So let's talk about roots aside from this in general. A plant, a tree. A tree is rooted typically where? In the ground. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> and if a tree is rooted in the ground, it's rooted in the ground where? In relation to the tree. Below the tree. Right. At mean? the bottom? Yeah, at the bottom. Right side <laughs> and, up. <laughs> and, and for the most part, directly b below the tree. At least that's where it starts, right? They can reach out. The bigger the tree gets, the, the more broad-reaching are the roots. When I grew up, the roots used to um, get under the sidewalk. And so by the time— They actually still do that. <clears throat> yes, roots. So— <laughs> Roots have this um, permanent condition. What I meant to say, Roger. So you're saying they have not evolved. <laughs> roots have not evolved. That's right. When I was a child, I used to love riding my bike on the sidewalk where the roots had jacked up the sidewalk because it gave me a place where I could do a Papa Wheelie. And I, I wasn't strong enough to lift the bike up on my own. So the little bump gave me a to Mama Wheelie and Papa Wheelie. <laughs> yeah, I picked up that reference. <clears throat> so rooted, if you're rooted the roots are where in relation to the object that's being rooted, in this case a tree? Below. Below and indirectly or directly below? Directly. Directly. Mm -hmm. Directly below. And if they are directly below the tree, they can't be across the street, right? Or they can't be in your neighbor's house, right? If, if the tree is planted in your yard, its roots are under that tree, right? Right. Okay. I don't know what's so funny about that, but... I just, I just pictured walking into your neighbor's house and, ah, there's a root. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sorry. the concept is, though, you can't be rooted in two places at once, right? You're mm -hmm. either rooted here or you're rooted there. Okay. Now go on to explain why the foundations for liberty, and maybe expand upon what we discussed before the break about foundations for liberty being rooted in Scripture. Katie, Winnie, and Roger all said true. 
How do you know this to be true? And can you support your argument further? Okay, well, let's, let me ask you some probing questions then. And, and, and this, by the way, we will expand upon because I've, I've written a whole chapter on it. What are some of the arguments that we hear from the world as to those who believe that liberty doesn't come from Scripture, right? Our knowledge and understanding of what liberty is as a concept. What do those people believe with regard to the origins and maintenance of liberty? Well, they believe that liberty is inherent, an inherent property in every person. Okay. Like, so let's tackle that one. Katie's identified what would be called a libertarian position. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people who are not libertarians also take the position that liberty is inherent, at least for themselves. They'll talk about sexual liberation, political liberation, um, liberation theology, right? Those are usually a means, though, of perverting liberty, and it's, it's a kind of license, which is actually the opposite of what liberty is. But if liberty is inherent in ourselves, what's problematic about that? Well, well it could change yeah. or— yeah. If it would change with us. Because we're not consistent. Okay, so well, in in some things, <laughs> one of, one of the fundamental problems in in rooting liberty in a person is that people are not permanent, are they? Mm-hmm. And they're not perfect either. Like we're all sinful. Right. So, just the mere existence of a person, a person lives at at best, at most, maybe a hundred years, ninety, eighty. Um, people change their minds, right? Men change their minds like they change their clothes. So what, what quality of liberty then would disappear if it were rooted and, and based in inherently, quote-unquote, in a person? It wouldn't be consistent. It wouldn't be consistent, and it also wouldn't be... Eternal. Eternal or permanent, mm-hmm. right? It would lose its permanent condition. Well, if something loses its permanent condition, it's not very valuable, is it? hmm Yep. Okay, so now use that to go back, to springboard back into an understanding of the foundations for liberty are rooted in Scripture. Well, Scripture is something that never changes. It's always consistent because it's God's Word and He never changes His mind. And He's also eternal, and so is His Word. Okay. So, and we have to believe that as a starting point, right? Yes. We don't—the old Phineas and Ferb, we're not trying to say that, that we are not believing this first, but the way to prove it is— to expose that it's impossible for liberty to exist in with any other foundation, right? It's, it's, it's a theory called the impossibility of the contrary. There couldn't be any other basis for it. And when you talk about those temporary um, means of sustaining liberty, oh, it's just inherent in a person. Well, not only does it lose its permanence, it also loses its, um, as you said, Katie, consistency because it can be negotiated, surrendered, compromised, manipulated. So let me take you a little bit through the biblical foundations, and then we'll come back to answer a few questions. As Scripture says, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve in his image. They were free to do good, and they knew no evil until Satan challenged God's authority, asking Adam and Eve, did God really say? Now, most attribute the fall of man to the picking of the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, but Adam and Eve's rebellion actually began when they paused to reflect on their own authority, whether or not what God said was true. Unlike the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who, when tempted by Satan, responded with the word, it is written, the first Adam presumed his own autonomy to decide. Instead of telling the serpent God has declared, Adam and Eve took it upon themselves to determine the authenticity of God's command. And from that moment on, 
Adam and everyone born after him became a slave to sin, unable to obey his creator or to choose good on his own. If Adam and all mankind were ever to be free to obey God and choose good again, it would have to come from somewhere else. God, of course, had already planned for this, announcing to Adam and Eve that he would send his own son, Jesus Christ, who would not only eternally redeem us from sin by defeating death through his resurrection, but God himself would provide the means for us to even believe in him so that we might partake in his resurrection and so be saved. So God created us free to obey him and to do good. Man rebelled and became a slave to sin, no longer able to choose good. But God provided the plan of redemption by God's own choosing, freeing man from bondage to sin and making man once again capable, by God's grace alone, of choosing good and, in so doing, man returns to his original state of freedom for what purpose? God's glory. Yeah, freedom to obey the one who made us, right? Mm -hmm. That's what freedom is all about. This is the gospel. It's freedom from the bondage of sin. And it resonates through all of the scriptures. Consider Exodus 20, what I call the preamble to the Ten Commandments. God establishes this freedom message as the framework for all of the detailed commandments. What does he say at the beginning? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery. This was not just a reminder of what God had accomplished in the course of history. It also foreshadowed what God had already accomplished in eternity through Christ, which is freedom from what? Slavery. The slavery of? Sin. Sin. Yeah, freedom from sin. 1 Corinthians 7, 21 through 23, Paul writes, If you can gain your freedom, do so. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. To Pharaoh, God through Moses declared, Let my people go. Why? So that they may freely worship the one who created them, without condition, by the way. Remember, uh, let me read this, this reference from Scripture because it's important. Pharaoh tried to condition Moses in this back and forth uh, during the plagues, and Moses comes in, and Pharaoh says, okay, you can go, but, and he says in um, Exodus 8, he says, I'll let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away, right? Moses says, <laughs> Moses says, no, we must worship God in the way and in the manner that God determines, not in the manner that the state or the government tells us we should worship. The implication is that we belong to God, not to ourselves, nor to our fellow man, like we talked about last week, right? We're co-equals, and we're co-equals in sin, created beings sinful from birth. So why does God keep reminding us of these things? Because we forget them. And we, we are prone to forget. And why else? What do we hear around us all of the time? We hear that, like, man is God. Yes, and we hear that directly by, by words, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's an implication of that all the mm-hmm. time, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. The world's agenda is to undermine God's created order by subduing us in slavery to sin. So once we understand that all temporal aims to coerce people or to deprive them of freedom are but visible manifestations of the invisible work of the devil to enslave us to sin, then it becomes obvious that the famous inscription on the Liberty Bell from Leviticus 25.10 proclaim liberty throughout the land, liberty to all the inhabitants thereof, is not just our political duty, but one of the most effective means of shining a light in the darkness by proclaiming the good news that God, through his only Son, Jesus Christ, has set us free from sin. 
Those are the foundations of liberty in Scripture. That's what liberty is all about. When we return, I will take a few moments to answer some questions about today's topics. This is Jesus and the Meteorologists. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I am your host. If you would like to call into the program for the purpose of participating, like some of our icebergs have done, please email us your request to questions at icebergsnotsnowflakes.com. All right, now to the question of the week. We have a question from our producer, Rachel. Um, we asked her to develop a question, and I think this is a good one. How would you respond to Christians who believe freedom comes from Christ, but they act as if freedom in Christ means license to do whatever they want, including sinning? So during the break, we just had a little discussion here, and um, our icebergs have actually brought to light a couple of really good sources uh, to go to get that answer. So before I give my answer, I want to enlighten you with the iceberg's own uh, good moral foundations. They went straight to what? The children's catechism. Yes, the catechism. What, what better place to go for your answers? Great starting point. Okay, so Katie, why don't you tell us which question you are reading from, and then go ahead and read that, and then we'll move to Winnie, because I think we, we've got two yeah. Two passages. So we looked at question 28, which is, what is sin? And the Children's Catechism says... You can talk out loud. That's 18. <laughs> they're, they're debating. And, oh, like, is when it 18? When oh. he's whispering. Yes, I have the wrong number. Sorry. Question 18 <laughs> of the Children's Catechism, which is, what is sin? And it says, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Um, and question 19 and question 20 kind of go off that. What is meant by one of conformity, not being or doing what God requires? And then 20, what is meant by transgression, doing what God forbids? And God forbids, you know, using your freedom to do whatever you would like just because you have forgiveness from him. That's right, because, and Roger pulled up the Galatians passage, which says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, I think it's pretty clear. I don't think there's any, any room for error. If a person says or, or confuses or conflates license and liberty, they're not looking at their scriptures. The catechisms were clearly developed from the scriptures. The scriptures themselves are the word of God. But it is something that people tend to become very loose about. And, and, I, and this is why it's important to know why we are free. We must understand that freedom is about being free to obey God, something that is impossible without God, right? But that's where liberty derives its meaning. It's not just about, it doesn't mean freedom to do what you want. As we talked about in the last episode, that would, or maybe it was two episodes ago, that would actually violate, as it says, suggests in um, Galatians, 
the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, right? If you're using your freedom to destroy your neighbor's rights, to destroy your neighbor's freedoms and properties, to make it difficult on your neighbor, that's not exercising freedom within the confines in which it was understood. So there's always been an order to freedom. And um, as I said, we'll get into this in a later episode, but let me quote you one thing that I wrote in the book, which is that if you don't have a clear understanding of why we are free, which is to obey the one who made us, God, liberty devolves into license, which is deceptive and it's a destructive counterfeit to liberty. Whereas the Bible explains the object of our freedom is to obey our Creator and to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do, that's from Ephesians, the libertarian or unbelieving concept of freedom has no such transcendent purpose or external restraint to keep it from becoming an excuse to do as one pleases, leading ultimately to anarchy and a loss of all order. So, great question, deserves a goal horn. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, it's all the time we have today. Thanks again to our icebergs, our producer Rachel with a great question, and to all of our listeners and supporters. And then in the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what we're to do unless we believe what is true? My name is Kevin Kukaji, and you have been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists.